0: If you would turn to uh, Titus, chapter 1, the first four verses of Titus. As we noted last week, the next to last uh, book that that Paul wrote, uh, not not too many years before the end of his life, one of what we call the pastoral epistles. So Titus 1, 1 through 4, hear God's word. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness, in hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began, and at the proper time manifested in his word through the preaching of with which I have been entrusted by the command of God our Savior, to Titus, my true child in a common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our, Lord, our Savior. Amen. Well, we come to this greeting, this opening greeting and salutation of uh, Paul to Titus? And uh, you're very familiar with these kinds of passages. You've probably, some of you, have sat through many sermons on these verses and the different letters. <clears throat> and for those of you that have been around, you've heard me take you through uh, different portions like this. I could probably ask some of you to come up here and you could, could, uh, could take over in, in explaining these things. But I'm not going to ask you to do that. So you can... <clears throat> relax. But this greeting of Titus is uh, one of Paul's longest opening greetings. Uh, he introduces some in, in, with some words some of the topics that are going to be part of uh, recurring through this letter, uh, the word faith, the word godliness, the word hope, the word eternal life. <clears throat> and as we get into this greeting, there are five sections of it I want us to take take our way through to help us organize our thoughts, organize Paul's thoughts for us. And the first portion is just Paul giving his identity. It's the first part of the first verse. Uh, he gives his name, Paul. We remember that this is Saul of Tarsus who was persecuting the church, and God met Paul Saul on his way to Damascus, uh, that he was taking warrants for the arrest of Christians and he was going to put them in prison. And the Lord Jesus Christ met him on that road in a dramatic fashion. He was struck down to the ground by this light, this blazing light from heaven. And uh, Jesus said to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And he, answered, he asked, well, who are you, Lord? And then Jesus explains who he is. And he calls him. And uh, when he went into the town, uh, Ananias was caught, commissioned to go lay his hands on Paul. And he was told to tell him, uh, show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. <clears throat> so that's Paul. Uh, he calls himself a, well, it's usually translated servant. It's the literally the word slave. Now, we don't want to compare ourselves to slaves, but at the same time, a slave, a servant in that sense, is someone who not only is required to work for a master, but they're purchased by the master for that work. So turn to 1 Peter 1. First Peter one eighteen and nineteen. We're reminded of this truth for our own lives. <clears throat> First Peter one eighteen, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. Like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. So, Paul was a slave, a servant of God, uh, and he had been purchased by Christ through his precious blood to be that servant. And you and I, uh, again, not wanting to compare ourselves in any way with those who were physical slaves, nevertheless, we are called to be servants of the Lord. And we're called to that because we've been purchased by Jesus' blood. And if he offered that for us and purchased our redemption, then we owe him our obedience. He's our master and he's our Lord. And then Paul, a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ, an apostle. And um, the apostle simply means sent one. So... Paul, in his humility, is a slave, is a servant. But in his calling, he has authority. Because he's been commissioned, he's been sent by the Lord Jesus Christ to proclaim the message that you and I are to listen to. So there's that interesting combination of his humility and yet here his authority. And you and I are to listen to... to pay attention to what he has to say. And so Paul is still an apostle to the church today as we read his word, as we uh, listen to what he has to say. So his identity, then his calling. We see that in the last part of uh, verse one and the first part of verse two. For the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness in the hope of eternal life. So the purpose and the calling of Paul is, um, has several things in it, but the primary focus is faith, that he was, he's a sent one for the sake of the faith of God's elect. So the focus of his ministry, the focus of this book, the focus of all his letters is uh, for the faith of God's children. It is Paul's ambition, it's his goal, that we, be, that we experience faith, that we be grounded in our faith, that we grow in our faith, and that we persevere in our faith. We see those things woven uh, throughout his letters. And he makes a statement here for the faith, for the sake of the faith of God's elect. And Paul brings up here, as he does in other places, the doctrine of election. Now, you may have some friends who would say to you, well, I don't believe in election. Now, they can't mean that because the word election is in the Bible. So you have to believe something about it if you believe the Bible. Uh, Usually what they mean is they don't believe what we believe about election. They don't believe in unconditional election. Uh, But... It's a, it's a teaching that's uh, in the Scriptures, and let's go back to a passage we read this morning, Ephesians chapter 1, where we just have a reminder of this um, divine plan of God. After verse 3, talking about we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus, In Ephesians 1, 4, Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons uh, through Jesus Christ. Now I'm going to pause there for a minute. Don't leave this passage. So we'll have friends who will say, Well, yeah, we believe God chose us, but he chose us for something good that he would see in us in the future. So in other words, God foreknew that we would believe and therefore he elected us to be saved and to have faith. But Paul goes on to say what was the basis of his election. Uh, so he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of, of his will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has blessed us in the beloved. So he didn't choose us because he saw anything in us. In fact, if he saw anything in us, it was utter depravity. But he chose us in Christ before the creation of the world. Uh, as one author makes a very, I think, helpful comment. Paul teaches us that we are elected not because of faith, but unto faith. So the election of God is to bring us to faith, uh, to lay the groundwork of faith, to be our calling uh, to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. John Calvin makes the comment, and speaking of God's elect, Paul points out that faith does not begin with us. It is because God has chosen us because of his immutable election and because of the unmerited goodness which he showed in adopting us as his children that he gave us to Jesus Christ. So it's God's initiative. It's his work. And Paul was sent for the sake of the faith of God's elect, for their faith, to encourage their faith, to teach them to rest in in faith. Uh, Jesus Christ is is just as much a teacher of this. He says, all that the Father gives me will come to me. It's the Father giving them to Christ. And he goes on to say, whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. He prays in his high priestly prayer in John 17 that God would give eternal life to all whom you, the Father, have given me. Um, if we're back, if you've come, turn back to Titus. Uh, turn ahead just a bit to Second Timothy two ten, <clears throat> or backwards. Excuse me, Second Timothy two ten. And it's part of Paul's calling, his his goal, his aim. He says, therefore, so Second Timothy two ten. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they, may, they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. So we have Paul, he endures everything that he had to go through for the sake of God's elect, that they might have faith, that they might grow in that faith. We come back to Titus, he says, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth. So we believe in Christ, we grow in our understanding and our knowledge of the truth, the body of doctrine, the body of truth that God has given to us. Uh, the basis of that truth is the Holy Scriptures, uh, which are able to make us wise unto salvation. It's the uh, the goal of, of Paul and the commission Paul had was to Ground God's people in their faith and then to grow them in that faith with the truth so that they ultimately must persevere. And that faith produces fruit. Uh, He continues on after the knowledge of the truth which accords to godliness. A true and believing faith bears the fruit of godliness. You and I, if we're true, truly God's children, need to grow in godliness and honor the Lord in, in our lives. Um, as Paul would say in Romans 12, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. And we need to, faith, having taken root in our lives, need to bear, needs to bear fruit of godliness. And if we're not walking in that path, we need to question the foundation of our faith. Um, Calvin again writes, truth's purpose is to build up in such holiness that God is glorified. And the second fruit that he brings out here is that in the hope of eternal life, a second fruit of true faith is hope that we have the hope of eternal life, that we have the hope for the future. We're going to talk in a moment here about what that hope is built, built and based on. Uh, but the, <clears throat> um, the what Paul is communicating is we're resting upon uh, this body of truth that brings us and builds in us hope. Uh, Will we struggle with doubts at times? Well, certainly. But ultimately, true faith is going to drive us forward in hope. Uh, So godliness and hope are fruits of that uh, true faith. But the third main portion, which is kind of growing out of what we've already said, is the foundation for his calling. Maybe we might say the foundation also of our faith. What is it that is the foundation of our hope. What is it that motivates us to godliness? And he brings that up in the last part of verse 2 and in verse 3. He says, The hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began. We have four elements here to the foundation of not only Paul's ministry, but also our faith, and particularly the hope that we have in our faith. The first is... That God never lies. Uh, we can trust in Him. We can rest in what He has to say. He speaks the truth. Uh, he, he He speaks. His word is truth. Let's turn to a couple verses. Uh, turn back to Romans three, verse four. <clears throat> And I'll pick it up at verse 3. What if some were unfaithful? Does their faithlessness nullify the faithfulness of God? By no means. Let God be true, though everyone that were a liar. As it is written, that you may be justified in your words and prevail when you are judged. So God is true, even if everyone else is a liar. Everyone else can be faithless, but God will be faithful. And then turn back to John 17, Jesus' high priestly prayer. John 17, verse 17. He prays to the Father, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. So our hope in eternal life uh, so you can come back to Titus. Our hope in eternal life is founded on, first, that God never lies. The second is that God promised this before the ages begin. So he never lies and he's made promises, the promises that are basis of our faith. <clears throat> and the literally the phrase is he promised these before time's eternal, before the beginning of time. God promised salvation through faith in Christ to the elect before he created the world. And so this promise of God is a tremendous hope. Um, turn to 2 Timothy. So back to, back to 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 9. <clears throat> He writes, Who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose of, and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, <clears throat> and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. So we have... Uh, our hope the promise the, the of of Christ and his work and saving grace was given before the ages began before the creation of the world so we have this long standing promise from the god who never lies and then in time it was manifested <clears throat> so in verse 3 and in and at the proper time uh, manifested in his word through the preaching. So its first manifestation was in the actual coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, but then God, uh, through Paul and his ministry, gave an open display. It openly appeared before for all of us uh, through his preaching and um, through God's word through that preaching. So it's the the imagery here you have is that the God who doesn't lie promised something before the creation of the world. And in time, he unveiled that in the person and work of Christ and in the preaching of the apostles of his word. And then the fourth foundation is with which I have been entrusted by the command of God our Savior. So we have here Paul's Um, commission it was a stewardship that that God gave to Paul. He entrusted this commission to Paul. And it came not not only with this stewardship but it also came with this command for Paul to preach the word. Uh, And as he'll tell Timothy to be instant in season and out of season. Uh, Paul was given this commission, this stewardship that he had to act faithfully on. And these things directly relate to him uh, and his commission, but they relate to us too. You and I have the promises from a God who doesn't lie, who manifested those things in time. And you and I, are given these truths as a stewardship. To use them well, to hold on to them, to perhaps in our various opportunities share them with others. But you and I also have a stewardship of the gifts that the Father has given to us. And we need to exercise those that stewardship uh, responsibly and carefully. The fourth element of his greeting is just announcing again to whom he was writing to Titus, my true child in a common faith. It communicates his his relationship with him, his intimacy. Again, last week we reviewed uh, the, the different places we see Titus in scripture and we don't know that much about him. We know that he was a, a close comrade and and a partner in the gospel with with Paul and was commissioned he was faithful and he's a his true child uh, perhaps that means it wouldn't have meant that he he was a, his actual child perhaps it means that Titus was converted under Paul's preaching <clears throat> in that that sense like Timothy was his son in the faith and in the common faith, faith. so he's uh, communicating this bond and this relationship with Titus and uh, in, um, um, to whom he's writing this letter. And then the fifth part of his greeting is the salutation. You hear it uh, week to week in the in the worship service. Grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. <clears throat> And these are very familiar words, um, but we don't want them to become flippant words. If I ever had a memory loss in worship and began God's greeting to you, grace, mercy, and... Well, you all could repeat it because you've heard it many times. <clears throat> but we don't want to let familiarity breed contempt or neglect, or indifference about this great salutation. Um, I hope it's a blessing to you. It's a great blessing to me to give you the salutation and the greeting of the Lord. <clears throat> it's, a, uh, it's a wonderful privilege to have that opportunity. But we are reminded in these words of the roots of our faith and our hope. Grace, the beginning of our salvation, is rooted in God's grace and His mercy. And the outcome of that grace is peace. Because we experience grace, we then, or are given grace, we then can experience peace. There is therefore now peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And it's a peace that can pervade our hearts and our lives. When we have uncertain and unsettled things happening in our lives, and we're tempted to be anxious and full of unrest, all of which is understandable, all of which is uh, even appropriate or... uh, natural in certain circumstances, how is it that we can calm our hearts? It's to be reminded that in the Lord, we have grace and peace. Not in circumstances. In circumstances, we may not have peace. But in the Lord, we have grace and peace. And so we take a promise like Paul's Statement in in Philippians chapter 4. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything. By prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving. Make your requests known to God. And the peace of God. Which passes all understanding. Will guard your hearts and minds. In Christ Jesus. You see that's. The grace and peace that we come to know through our Lord Jesus Christ. And you and I are called to listen to the Apostle Paul because he's an Apostle to us as well in his writings. And may we, as we listen to him and hear God speak through his word, that may we be nurtured in our faith, uh, in our hope, in our grace, and in our peace. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much for the common and, and familiar words given to us here. May they be rich and take root in our lives, that we might grow in our hope and in our peace and uh, in our, um, the strength that we have uh, as we walk with you in the days ahead. And may you, O Lord, be glorified in all of that, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.